Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show crossover edition. It's a home and home. I'm getting the return game. I went on Robert May's podcast, the athletic football show a few weeks ago. Now he comes back because this is this is the big week for him. It was the big week for me last week, college football starting. Now it's the big week for him with the NFL kicking off on Thursday night with the, the Bucks and the Cowboys. And I feel like we should just be complete football fans here. And we all love the sport. The crossover is huge. I guarantee most of you who are watching games all day Saturday are also going to be watching games all day Sunday. So there's no reason we can't talk a little NFL on this podcast. Plus, I've been covering a, a little team in Jacksonville with a little coach named Urban Meyer and a quarterback with fabulous hair. So uh, there will be some some crossover between the pros and, and college. So, Robert, welcome and uh, how how excited are you to finally get this thing off the ground? I'm very excited. You mentioned that the game is on Thursday. That feels like it's 20 miles away right now. Like if I can't <laughs> even see Thursday right now with everything that we have stacked up over the next week here on the athletic football show, the stuff I'm writing for the athletic. It, it's really fun. It's a fun time. I, and it always gets to be a hectic time in the two weeks before the season starts, but then you get to the finish line and then the real work starts. So it, that's always good. You get there and it's like, Oh yeah, now the season actually gets going, which is always a fun feeling. Well, and, and it's interesting with the NFL because college football, there is that excitement to start the season. Everybody, you know, has the, the the hope built up. But in reality, there's maybe four, five, six teams that could win the national title. There's actually probably more teams that could win the Super Bowl than could win the national title in college. Uh, and and that, uh, you know, that's the part with the NFL. And I was a I was one of those people who was just kind of bored by the NFL up until about I'd say five years ago when, when a lot of the, the, the offensive concepts started coming in from the college game and it really started getting more lively. But I, I feel like right now it is, a, it is a very exciting product and there are teams that we are not talking about now that could be you know, playing in an AFC or an NFC championship game, which we, we just don't talk about in college. That doesn't even happen. For me, it's beyond the college concepts. I think that's part of it. But I think overall, there's just been a shift in mindset among offensive coaches especially, but I think you're seeing it among yeah. defensive coaches now over the last couple of years with a lot of the younger defensive coaches that have risen. They're just trying to make it easier on their guys and harder on the people that they're playing against. And that may sound yep. simple, but for so long, the NFL was so dogmatic. And it was, you know, Mike Holmgren did this in 1995, so this is how we're going to do it. And it, yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. I think that you're seeing people... There's no bad ideas in a brainstorm when it comes to the NFL football right now. And that didn't used to be the case. But now you have all these kind of even older coaches. Remember, I was talk to, talking to Joe Barry recently, who's the defensive coordinator for the Packers now. And Joe Barry's in his 50s. You know, he's been a defensive coordinator before, but he's getting this chance again after working with 38-year-old Brandon Staley last year with the Rams and just talking about all oh, these new ideas and this new way of thinking about things. And I just feel like 
the brains and the minds and the visions of all these coaches at the NFL level are really starting to open up. And I think it's absolutely helped the product in a bunch of different ways. It, it has. And it, I remember talking to college coaches about this several years ago because it drove them nuts when the NFL coaches would criticize them and say, you're not preparing guys for our league. How, you know, how dare you? And the college coaches are like, listen, I'm trying not to get fired. So I got to take these kids out of high school <laughs> and get them ready to play right now. And, and it's like, it suddenly dawned on the NFL coaches. Wait a second. If I make it easier on the guy I just drafted, he might play better. So many of these coaches, especially with quarterbacks, I think the shift has been to, well, we're not running the Mickey mouse stuff too. We'd be stupid not to run the Mickey mouse stuff early on. You, know, you look at what the Bengals did with Joe Burrow last year is a perfect example. They almost leaned into it, you could argue, too much for too mm-hmm. long because they detracted from some other aspects of their offense. But they just ran LSU stuff for the first six weeks of the season yeah. because they didn't have an offseason. And they said, we need to have him be comfortable. So we're going to play an empty. We're going to get him all of his eligibles out. We're going to let him protect himself. Didn't always work. <laughs> he got hit a lot during those <laughs> yeah, first bad, eight games or example, so. Yes. But I, I do think that that's happened a lot. And I do think that you know, we'll see what the, yeah, and you mentioned the Jaguars. What does that offense look like? How many, how many more RPOs do they have installed in their system than Russell Wilson would have had with Daryl Bevel when they were in Seattle together? I would assume a lot more. You probably don't want to show that stuff in the preseason because there's no reason to. But are we going to see some more of that where he's just, squirting the ball out to LaVisca Chenault and letting him work in the same way he could at Clemson. I, those, the convergence of the games, I think, has helped both sides of it. Yeah, and, and so breaking news from Urban Meyer in his press conference on Monday, no called runs for Trevor Lawrence. Don't, don't expect any called runs, for, which Clemson actually did that every once in a while. I, I, I doubt very seriously you will see one except maybe, maybe on the goal line when they are sure no one's looking for Trevor Lawrence to run. Well, I hope he gets outside the pocket because you're kind of hurting yourself if you don't let him do that. I mean, I think the perfect example is Ryan Tannehill and what he does for the Titans, where you get him on the move and especially down in the low red zone, he just can run it in. If he's going to be on the move yeah. and he sees an opening, he's going to scamper eight yards for a touchdown. So I think that you need to utilize the athleticism and mobility of your quarterback in subtle ways, even if you're not designing a rushing game around him, because it just gives you an element that teams have to worry about. And and I think you saw that in the Jags last preseason game where they were moving Trevor Lawrence around. They were trying to move the pocket. They were trying to manufacture some some high confidence throws. There's there's one down in the red zone to LaVisca Chenault where it looked like a, I mean, it was a bubble screen, basically. It was a bunch formation, two receivers blocking in front of LaVisca. He takes the ball. As long as the receivers do their job, he's going to gain five. And then he's, he's LaVisca Chenault, so he drags a dude 10 yards. And that, that looked like, okay, you, you do understand what your guy can do. And, and I was a little worried about that. And let, let's talk about Urban Meyer because I think that's a lot of the folks who follow the college game are looking at this going, okay, of all the people who were good at, at coaching college football – this does not seem like the kind of person who would transition well to the NFL for, for a variety of reasons. Why do you say that? Because I don't, you know way more about Urban Meyer than I do. So your insights here are far more useful than whatever I could provide. Well, what I'm, what I'm interested in from you is what he needs to know about adjusting to the NFL game. You, want, you, know, you watched it with Cliff Kingsbury. You watched it with Matt Rule. For, for Urban Meyer, the, the thing that, that I would worry about is more psychological than, than tactical. Because this is a guy who took losses 
harder than any other coach I've ever seen where he just, it affected him pretty much every facet of his being. If he took a loss in the NFL, even if you're good, you're going to lose five, six, seven games. And you know, he, he lost that many games in, in, in the big 10 in his entire time at Ohio state. I think that that's a really good point. And we talked about this on our show in the, in the spring. We talked about the, the, can, the qualities you would want in a really good NFL head coach. And, and I think that there are several that I would go back to. And I think that you need to be curious and you need to show a lot of humility and your ability to change and adapt and all of that. But I think a, a comfort with things playing out, whatever, however they're going to play out. I was talking to a head coach yesterday that, that I really respect and just asking how you feel about the season and everything else. And he's like, I feel fun. You know, we did what we needed to do. It's going to go how it's going to go. And, you know, if we lose the first game, you don't lose the Super Bowl that day. It doesn't mean you can't win it. And then we're just going to keep going from there. And even coaches that are a little higher key than that, like Sean McVay, who has a ton of energy, but is somebody that I think is okay with however it goes. And that comes with age and maturity and things like that. But I do think a lot of the really good coaches in the NFL were able to stay there. They're able to kind of stay on that track and just say, yeah, I know the process was right. And if no, I knew the process was right, I'll just con- continue to keep doing that. doesn't mean you don't learn from mistakes. That's really important. You have to fold that stuff in. But I think understanding I've done everything I can in this moment, whether it's up through Sunday, whether it's at the end of the season when you're looking back, and having the security and the comfort in knowing that I think is really, really important because you can't just go back and play those games over and over and over again in your head. You're going to drive yourself insane. And that that's the issue. And you know, he's talked about it. He said, I realize I have to be different, but he always sort of gives the caveat of it hasn't happened yet. So I don't know. And, you know, you, you saw him after the preseason losses, the, the first two games, and especially after the Saints game, he looked as miserable as he ever did when he lost a college game. So I, I think that's the that's the thing. We'll, we'll find out. Right? Maybe not week one, because Honestly, if they lose to the Texans, there's probably bigger problems, but but they're going to be losses along the way, and they're probably going to come pretty early. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely are. This is a team that had the worst record in the NFL last season. One win. Uh, One I mean, win. Yes. Uh, there's, that's how this works. And I think the best coaches, uh, the best example recently is my, Brian Flores in Miami. You yeah. go, you know, you know the cost of doing business here. The rules of engagement are we're going to be bad. But as long as you can coax effort and engagement and buy-in from your players, that's what's important. So having to split those things up, like what are our real goals, what are our real expectations, and what are we trying to accomplish, that's really important in this process. It's about taking intentionality to everything that you're doing. If we win five games this year, and go five and twelve. I'm getting much better at this, by the way. Five and twelve, not five and yeah, eleven. That's right. Seventeen. Five, if we go five and twelve, but Trevor looks great. He's really confident by the end of the season. We feel really good about what LaVisca Chenault is for us. DJ Chark has a bounce back season. Maybe one or two of our young offensive tackles, Cam Robinson, Juwan Taylor, whoever, they're a little bit better this year. You know, with George Warhop back and in a different sort of offense that maybe protects them, this is a piece for us. You look on defense, and man, Kevin Chasen looks so much better in year two. You know, this he is absolutely a foundational rusher. On that's the stuff. Those are the benchmarks you're trying to hit. It's not winning every single game. It's understanding that these improvements and this progress is going to be incremental. 
Well, I, I love that you mentioned Flores because I, I could tell how good of a coach he was that first year when you probably want to tank, but he's got him playing so hard for him. And, and, and I don't, but, and that's not a problem because you fleece the Texans on the Laramie Tunsil trade. So you got so many picks that not tanking isn't the end of the world. But yeah, I, I think you're right about that. The, the understanding the real goals versus what you're going to say. And, and I think five and 12, six and 11 for, for that first year is probably a very realistic and not, you know, that that's the progress and trajectory you want. The problem is the defense has real, really no avenues to being above average. That's the problem. Even, even if you think the offense has a chance to be passable from day one, which I think it might be. Daryl Bevel is an establishment choice as your offensive coordinator, but he is. And I think that's a good thing in some ways to go with somebody who's seen this for a decade plus has done it in a bunch of different stops, shepherded a young quarterback's career in Russell Wilson, his background and his experience, I think lends well to this job. So if you just kind of are aiming for that, let's have the 13th best offense in the league this year. Like that is the best case scenario for us. That's fine on defense that road is a lot tougher because right. they just there, don't there, have the talent a, on that side of the ball. Yeah. There's not a difference maker coming in on the defensive line because there really there weren't a bunch available in free agency. The the Giants franchise Leo Williams, uh, you know, Dalvin Dalvin Tomlinson goes to the uh to the Vikings. That's pretty much it. There just Def- wasn't much there. Defensive linemen that hit free agency are role players. And if you're going to pay free agency prices for defensive linemen, you're going to play pay superstar prices for role yeah. players. The Titans and, went and out and signed Bud huge, Dupree, and right, it wasn't a huge D line draft either. No, no, and that, I think you just kind of take what's there. You know, Roy Robertson Harris made a lot of money <laughs> in free agency. I, I watch Roy Robertson Harris a lot. He's a nice player, but when you're going and building your team that way and you have all that cap space, you're going to overpay for guys. Like That's just how it's yeah. going to work. So it, the leaps you can make if your biggest sets of resources are throwing money around, it's only going to take you so far. We'll be right back after these words. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Staying in the AFC, I'm curious about the Patriots because this is a team that, you know, everybody was so used to them being so good for so long with Tom Brady. He leaves. They have a, a terrible year for them. But I'm curious how much they bounce back, not just because of the, the pieces they've added, the, the Hunter Henry and, and Jonu Smith giving them a, a chance to do a lot of too tight stuff, but also guys coming back who opted out last year on defense. I think their defense could be pretty good. You know, losing Stephon Gilmore for the first chunk of the season hurts just because having that true number one corner is so important for the way that they like to play. So having to piece together the secondary from the jump is a little bit difficult. But if you look at their front seven, I could not imagine I'm trying to think of a good example here, like Elijah Vera Tucker, for example. Yeah. It's a first round pick. I loved him as a prospect. I think it's going to be great. The guys never played in the NFL before. I don't know when they play the Patriots, but let's say it's like week three. You go into week three, it's your third NFL game, and you're watching tape on these guys. And the collection of dudes you have to block over the course of an 80-play game, some combination of Devon Godshaw, uh, Christian Bar- Christian Barrymore, uh, whatever stunts they use with like Matt Judon and Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy and Lawrence Guy and Dietrich Wise and all these dudes who weigh at least 280. They're going to be twisting and stunting and bringing pressures from every single angle. You got to worry about who's going to earhole you as the end is coming around. It, it, I can't, I truly cannot envision what it would be like to be an offensive lineman having to play against those guys. It's not like they have that one guy, that terror off the edge, where if you're a right tackle and, and Von Miller's just keeping you up the entire week, but just the sheer physicality that they're going to play with and how much it's going to be. Again, just keeping you on your toes and keeping you antsy throughout the entire game, that's exactly how they're going to play up front. They've done that in the past. I, I think this group is deeper, better, and more talented than most of the groups that they've had in that area of their roster in a long time. Yeah, that that's the thing. I, I'm, I'm trying to find the teams that – look, we know the Chiefs are going to be great again. We know the Bills are going to be great again. Uh, we know the Rams should be outstanding with, with Matthew Stafford at QB. But the ones that – Something happened, something changed a little bit where, where things could change a lot. And I think with the Patriots, the big question would be Mac Jones. And obviously he showed in camp enough that they make him the starter, release Cam Newton. But can he come in and be an effective NFL starting quarterback day one? I think so. And I think part of the reason for that is the infrastructure there is really solid. You know, they went out and spent so much money in free agency, and then in the trade market as well. I think quarterbacks so often are a product of their circumstances, especially early on. And when you look at what he's being dropped into, it's a top five offensive line. They have really good players across the board. There's even a weak link in that group. Injury is really the only thing that's a concern with that five. So you have that. And then obviously, it's the same conversation we had about the Jags in free agency. When you're spending in free agency, you're not going to get true difference makers. You're going to get solid players that can contribute for you. And that's what the Patriots did. They went out and got Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, guys like that. That plugs holes for you. So you're going to have an acceptable receiving core. But that's what 
Mac Jones is walking into. He's walking into an offense without any noticeable holes, even if the ceiling, in my opinion, is fairly limited because of where they went out and found their pass catchers. But let's just say, based on talent alone, if Mac Jones is a slightly above average quarterback from the start, which might be optimistic, this is still like a top 15 offense. And wow. that's just not going to be the case for most rookie quarterbacks because they're not walking in to those sorts of circumstances. You mentioned Brandon Staley earlier, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the Chargers because they lost so many heartbreakers last year. They, they clearly have the, the quarterback. I mean, Justin Herbert was, was outstanding and answered a lot of questions I had about him coming out of college because when he was at Oregon, the, it was interesting because he almost seemed more surprised than anyone that he was in that position. That, that people were looking at him as a potential first-round draft pick and that, that he could be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. It's like, me? Really? And But when he got to the NFL, it was clear he has that dog in him. Like, when you see him out on the field, and especially the circumstances of his first start where, you know, Tyrod's supposed to, supposed to play and all of a sudden, nope, you're starting. Like, you kind of knew. But then it felt like they were so poorly managed that – they just couldn't get the most out of it. So, the, so they bring in like they bring in Corey Lindsley. So he's got a, a very good center now. And Brandon Staley is the new head coach. Can they make a leap, even though they're sitting there in the Chiefs division? Yes. I, I think they absolutely could make the playoffs. And the offense as constructed, again, it's not always that caveat with them. If they can stay healthy, it is the biggest thing. But if you look at the offensive line, it's not just Corey Winsley. It's going out and signing Matt Filer, who is a totally acceptable guard. And that's when you're looking at guards, acceptable is what you want. Acceptable is great. (laughs) Acceptable is what you want. They go get Matt Filer. They signed Ode Abushi, who is in his 30s and somebody that most people probably wouldn't know about. But he played well for Detroit last year. And they truly feel like he's a starting level guard in the NFL that they went out and signed also. They drafted Rashawn Slater in the first round. I, Tom Telesco did not believe coming into this offseason that they could fix this thing in a couple of months, and they did. They have a real offensive line now. You combine that with a group of skill position players that is kind of fascinating, right? Like yeah. The way that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Jalen Guyton, they all fit together. I mean, Guyton has that speed element. Williams is the 50-50 ball winner. Keenan Allen is... One of my favorite players in the league, period. They have Jared Cook now, and what they can do with him and Dar- Donald Parham is really interesting with some of the two tight end sets. Elson, or Austin Eckler kind of fits in exactly what you want from Alvin Kamara. I wrote about this last week. I, I talked to Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi and Justin Herbert about how they've tried to build the system through Justin Herbert and use the mindset that Lombardi used to employ with the Saints where Drew Brees was control of everything, right? He picked his favorite plays. He picked where guys were lined up in certain concepts and trying to filter that through the talent that Justin Herbert has and why it'll look different and why it'll be the same. And so I'm bought in in a way that most people might not be if they don't have well the proximity to these I ideas mean, ever, that I've if had. If you've ever but, talked to Justin Herbert, though, he's the perfect person to do that with. This yes. is a very smart guy. I mean, this is he, he was you know, 4-0 student taking very hard classes in college. And this was never a guy that you ever had to worry about mentally. He always had that. So that's the part. I mean, hearing that makes me even more excited to see what they're going to do because he does strike me as the kind of person who, as the years go on, will master his offense the way Drew Brees did. The only question is, do you get a a Sean Payton-type match with him where they can do it together for a long time and they almost, they're almost telepathic by the end of it. 
uh, that's the difficult part, right? And but the, in order to do that, you have to have honest and frank communication at all times. And I think that's been one of the things that they've really stressed there is that Justin Herbert's like a nice kid, you know, kid. He's he's a twenty five year old man, but he's like a nice guy, you know. It's the haircut and, that makes you think he's young. Yeah, he, I mean, he's much younger than me. I mean, he's like a decade younger than me, but he's still like a grown man. He is a really nice guy. And Joe Lombardi said that to me. He said that these guys are pleasers. You know, they don't want to tell you I don't like something when you bring it to them as an idea. And so they've really had to kind of push him to that side. It's like, you can tell us if you don't like this. Like, we don't want to run the plays you want to run. So that part of it has kind of been a, a process for them figuring it out. But I truly believe they're going to get to a good place. And, you know, we talk about coaches that, end up being okay with, all right, I did enough here. It's fine. We're going to be okay. I think the coaches that are the best in the NFL love the process of figuring it out. They love the solving of the game. And when I was talking yeah. to Justin Herbert about figuring out, all right, these are the play calls based on this formation, this motion, this tag, this, that. You could hear the genuine joy in his voice. He was like, I was starting to get it. You know, I was really starting to figure yeah. it out. And when you combine aptitude with a motivation to get it done, you get really special stuff. That's what Josh Allen was. Josh Allen's really smart, and he really wants to be good at it. And if you combine those two things, you're typically going to get a pretty good quarterback when the guy is 6'6 and has more ability than pretty much every other passer on the planet. I I was going to say, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, two guys who probably, if they needed to, are athletic enough to play another position in the NFL, which is is scary when you think about the brain power and the – the athleticism and the arm together. So, uh, yeah, that that it really is a it feels like a very good time for quarterbacks. Kind of a, you know, it I'm thinking about when I was a kid, you know, they they had that unbelievable draft with with Elway and Marino and and all those guys, but it it really does feel like we're in one of those quarterback golden ages because, you know, you've got Brady still playing, Mahomes is just amazing. Josh Allen doing what we we thought was not possible, becoming more accurate in the NFL than in college. Russell Wilson. Uh, it, it's just it, it feels like there's a bunch of really special guys out there. I agree, and I think it's the golden age filtering out. You know, the, the Brady's still hanging around. Rodgers is still there, and then you get this young group. And I think that the young group is exciting, coming from two different directions. One, we're allowing the best athletes to play quarterback now in a way that we didn't before. So you have these guys who are just supernovas of ability, whether it's Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. And because the game has gotten easier in a lot of the ways that we talked about before, where coaches are trying to do everything to allow these guys to succeed rather than putting them in boxes, it's only accentuated and accelerated the development and the success of guys like that. So I think that it's the types of people we're seeking out to play the position, and it's the fact that – oh, and I think three-prong. Two, that the coaching has gotten better. And three, there is an understanding league-wide of what is successful and what is efficient and what is not. If you look at percentages from five years ago, the 2016, the Falcons led the NFL in play-action percentage about 25% of their dropbacks, a quarter of the time. Now, that's near the bottom of the league. Now, every single team, for the most part, is above 25%, and the teams at the top are up at 35%, 40%. So you have Josh Allen in this offense that is well-constructed around him, using play action at a higher rate than any other team in the NFL, even though their running game sucks. 
and you have a coach that's just trying to make him comfortable in any way that he can. So I think that these plans for these guys on top of how talented they are is leading to just unprecedented success at the position. How dare you blaspheme Devin Motor Singletary like that? <laughs> All the FAU fans are, are just going crazy right now. Listen, it, I don't I don't think it was Devin Singletary's you. fault. I think it was a lot of different reasons. It's actually it's a fascinating thing. I, I I'm writing this week about essentially how offenses around the NFL are going to have to react to the rise of the Staley Vic Fangio stuff, right? So if you're going to have all these defenses that are playing too high as a base, and it, it's more than those guys. Like the Niners play a lot of quarters on early downs, so do the Browns. But the NFL as a whole is kind of adopting this philosophy on early downs of we're going to put a dome over your entire offense. What are you going to do? Yeah, because we, we know you're going to throw the ball on first down now, so yes. we're scared to death of it. Yes, exactly. So if we, we're going to do everything we can to eliminate explosive plays from the menu. So if we do that, what else can you guys cook up? And one of the answers is, can you be good running the ball? And the Bills didn't want to be good running the ball last year, so it was difficult to be good running the ball. And you look at a team like Green Bay, they're a running team. They want to be good at it. And when you see the differences between a team that at values – and stresses being good at running the ball in a team that doesn't, it's pretty stark. And in a world where rushing is less efficient than passing, you could eschew that for a little while. But I think now, as the cycle comes back, which it always is going to come back, is running going to be more important as we transition to a too high world? And that is why football is the most interesting game on the planet. Oh, it's, a, it's a living organism. It, yes. One, one thing gets taken care of and it opens up a weakness somewhere else. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. I want to get back to talking about the, the people they're choosing to play quarterback now, because you're absolutely right about that. And it's, it's, we've seen it on across every level of football over the last 20 years where it's just not even a thing anymore. Like, it's funny because high school coaches had this figured out years ago. Like your best athlete played quarterback in free safety and he got the ball in his hands every play, whether he was running or throwing, and then he was back there because he's faster than everybody else, and he's going to go make a play somewhere. And and it took you know why like it took decades for the college coaches to figure it out, and then another decade or so for the NFL guys. And now you have people like Justin Fields playing quarterback in the NFL, which brings me to this: I know the the Bears are the team that that you followed the closest most of your life, and during the whole. Trevor Lawrence, Gardner Minshew, I'm using air quotes here, quarterback competition. When I was at press conferences, I wanted to raise my hand and ask Urban Meyer if he knew that Gardner Minshew wasn't going to transfer if he didn't win the job. Like, do, do you know you don't have to give him any first team reps? Like, he won't transfer. Like, you're not fooling anybody here. It's different in Chicago where they declared Andy Dalton QB1 because they signed him. And then I know this is similar to the, the signing Mike Glennon before drafting Mitch Trubisky. But at what point do you go, wait, we, we didn't, we, we, we might've just messed up. That $10 million might just be a sunk cost. Can we just dispense with the, the formalities and, and, and play this guy? Or is that, is that just a, a, a Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy thing that they, they won't, they cannot allow themselves to do that because they made a promise to Andy Dalton? <sighs> I think it's partially that. I think it's partially Matt Nagy's proximity to what happened with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. Like when you have that in your in the back of your mind, when you've watched it up close, it's hard not to buy into that being in the formula. I don't know if this is the reason for it, but as a Bears fan, 
even if it's accidental, I'm okay with Justin Fields sitting out for the first few games of the season as we figure out this, 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 like the epic disaster that their offensive line is right now. I mean, I, I don't... I it's and that's not I don't think you have to sit him out for like a set period of time or the line needs to get to a certain place before he plays. I just don't think you lose anything by allowing your right guard and right tackle who hadn't practiced next to each other in, as of two weeks ago, giving them a little bit more time to get comfortable and then dropping in the guy that whose success or failure dictates the next decade of your franchise. So I. I'm not excited about watching Andy Dalton, but I will live through three or four weeks of Andy Dalton if it means setting Justin Fields up for the next 10 years of success. As you say, Bears uh, Bears open with the Rams. So, yeah, I mean, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, by all means, Andy Dalton, the floor is yours. Uh, and then they get the Browns on the 26th. So, Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, that, that's good. It, you can get that worked out. But I, I'm with you, and that's... That's the best excuse I've heard. The the he was close to the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, and you're right. The redshirt year for Patrick Mahomes probably helped Patrick Mahomes become what he is. And if you throw him in as a guy coming from the air raid, it's it, maybe it's a different career. Maybe he he gets just beat up so much that that it changes who he ultimately becomes. But I don't know. I feel like Justin Fields coming out of working with Ryan Day is probably a little more. NFL game ready, plus the NFL game has has kind of moved toward him too. I think he's totally ready to play. I just wouldn't throw him to the wolves like that. We talk about Mac Jones and even Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, being in pretty decent circumstances for a young quarterback. The Jags brought back all of their offensive line starters. They brought back their offensive line coach. It's not a top 10 unit, but it's not a bottom five unit either. It's not, it's not going to get him killed. Yeah. Yes. And I think that all the rookie quarterbacks are in that boat. Obviously, the Niners have a really good setup. It's rare for a quarterback to step into circumstances that good the ways with the ones that Trey Lance is going to be facing. The Jets went out and remade their offensive line on purpose because they knew that they were dropping Zach Wilson into that scenario. You go sign Morgan Moses, you trade up for a guard. Now you have two first round picks on the left side of your line, plus a guy in Morgan Moses who's been a rock for as long as he's been in the NFL in Washington. The Bears don't have that. The Bears have 39-year-old Jason Peters, who's struggled to stay healthy for the last several years as their starting left tackle right now. Jermaine Effetti is their starting right tackle. He was fine in spot duty last year after people got hurt, but he has not shown an ability to play that position at a high level for an extended period of time after you watch what happened in Seattle. They're moving James Daniels, their left guard, to right guard this year. Fetty just got back to practicing. It's not like those other situations. And I think that even if you feel like Justin Fields is ready, it might behoove you and him and the franchise just to give yourself another month for those guys to even be in meetings together. To be sitting there and saying, oh, if we see this stunt, how do you want to handle this? And walking through stuff like that. Another month of that would be another month of what you got in training camp. I understand it's not the full speed practices and it's a little bit different, but I just don't think you lose anything by leaning into that time and taking it to figure stuff out in a way that you haven't been able to so far. So before I let you go, I got to ask you about the closest thing the NFL game has to Alabama right now, and that's the Bucks. You bring, you have a team that wins the Super Bowl, and you bring back everything. Give me a plausible way they do not win it all this year. Health is the number one thing. 
I know that's not an interesting answer, but they were the healthiest team in the NFL last that's year. That's true. So yeah. If if you look at, I mean that, and that's why this stuff. It's why you play the games in in the NFL. Being healthy and keeping your guys on the field is one of the most important things. And there are areas of their roster where they are not set up to endure injury. If one of their, if Tristan Wirfs gets hurt, this team doesn't have a ready-made replacement for Tristan Wirfs on the roster. You can't be too deep at every single position. If they have any of the receivers get hurt, they're going to be just fine. But there are spots on this roster where it can be, it's a little more fragile. Outside of injury, I would say the other spot on the roster that I guess I'm not 100% bought in yet, just because we haven't seen them be great for more than five or six games in a row, is probably the secondary. Like that group of Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy bunting, and then the safeties outside of Antoine Winfield Jr., they could be great. We've seen them be really good. I mean, this is a top five defense last year, but that's the one group where it's like, maybe, like maybe they just take a collective step back this year. And instead of being one of the five best defenses in the league, this is closer to one of the 10 best defenses in the league in the way they were in 2019. But that there aren't many reasons. Like it's, it's hard to get, you know, it's hard to dump water on this and lose enthusiasm about this team. Oh yeah. Well, I, and the health thing is a, is a great point because I, I, my argument is they did not become what they were defensively until Vita Vea got back. When, when Vita Vea gets back and he's just destroying the pocket every single play, when, when you can't get any push on him, it changes every. It makes Shaq Barrett a better player. It makes Jason Pierre Paul a better player. It, it allows Devin White to make more plays. It allows Levante David to make more plays. And I, I just think having an elite front four does it changes everything. And I, I think that's fairly universal. We just saw it in the, in the Georgia Clemson game. When when you have a defensive line like that, you make you if it, if it's that good, you can make it impossible. For your opponent to do anything. And you saw that in the Super Bowl last year when the Chiefs had their issues on the offensive line. So, uh, yeah. I, and I think it, it's funny that because we started talking about the Jags with this and why their ceiling is where it is. But I feel like it, this is where all the college fans will understand completely. If you cannot get those defensive linemen, you don't have a chance. Yeah, I think that if you're looking at roster construction overall, Having that group is incredibly important. I think that we're seeing teams rethink whether or not that's more important than what you have on the back end. And it's there are a lot of different schools of thought about it. Like Baltimore, we're going to pay for the corners. We're going to figure it out on the front. We're just going to throw bodies at the problem. We're going to blitz a ton. We're going to play man behind it, and we're going to trust that you're just not going to have enough time. Other teams also do that. Miami is in the same boat. Like They drafted Jalen Phillips in the first round, but for the most part, they've skimped on pass rusher, and they've tried to piece right. it together. And then even like a team like Cleveland, I've, I've talked about this a decent amount on our show. Andrew Barry comes from a place where you build from front to back. Like Always, if you think about the places he's come from, he was in Philly before he went to the Browns. The Eagles, again, lead the NFL in front four spending. They have pretty much every single year for the last five years. But I think they're tweaking that thinking a little bit now that he's in Cleveland. They're doing a lot of back-to-front building where Miles Garrett is the one piece you have in the front, and then you kind of try to supplement around him. So I'll be curious. It's not bad. It's not bad. But the Rams (laughs) are the same way, right? If you look at the way the Rams are built, you have Aaron Donald, you have Jalen Ramsey, and then you have everything else that rotates around it. And if you can have those – all you need to do is change the math on the back and the front with one guy. 
There aren't that many guys in the league that can do that, but Miles Garrett is one of those guys. Aaron Donald is one of those guys. So you use that as a focal point with your fronts and with your coverage and then try to build everything around those two foundational pieces. Washington football team fans going, no, no, we'll take all the difference makers. Yeah, on yeah, D-line. yeah. They're doing fine. They're, they're doing just fine. <laughs> that, that's, and, and that's what's nice. The draft. Yeah. That's, that's what's nice. When you, it's, this is not news to anybody. Drafting well is really helpful. If, if you're going to be a good NFL <laughs> yeah. team, but you just, you see it in practice, right? You look at Washington and they were able to go out and get Curtis Samuel and William Jackson in free agency this year. Again, Good players, you got to pay premium prices because they're free agents. Right. But when you draft really well and every single other piece is a young guy that's on the ascent, then you get to be a top three defense. The Bengals yeah. went out and they signed some guys in free agency this year too on defense, but they don't have any young foundational pieces. So their best case scenario is a pretty good defense that's more expensive than the Washington defense that has a chance to be the best unit in the entire NFL. Yeah, William Jackson becomes a much better corner when, when Chase Young and Jonathan Allen are, are doing their thing up front. So it, you're right. It, it, it's all symbiosis, and that's the, that's the key. Football is a symbiotic sport. So Robert Mays, uh, thank you so much. I know you are super busy this week, so thank you for spending some time with us. Listen to the Athletic Football Show anywhere you find your podcast. You should be subscribed to that one as well as this one, and then you will just be the best informed football fan you can be. Robert, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, buddy. Always. Talk to you soon.